same quiet, same place, <laughs> new mission. <laughs> this time they talk out loud. and welcome to The Cutdown, a podcast all about the art of trailer editing. This is episode number 19. I'm Derek Liu. And I'm Rick Thomas. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, This week, we decided that we're going to talk about trailers for sequels. Uh, Mostly just came about because the new trailer for A Quiet Place Part 2 came out, and uh, I really liked it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, It came out um, New Year's Day uh, and it was kind of previewed about a week earlier. So there was real anticipation, but um, I guess they didn't want to go out over the holidays too much. And even the 30 second teaser for this was really kind of nice, just kind of played out a scene and was very, very sparse. The teaser for the teaser. Yeah. The was it the like the day one section of the trailer at the beginning? It was well, it was her on the kind of chalk path and then kind of oh is she gonna go is she gonna go over the the chalk path so a, uh, a scene and um and kind of speaks to the what we want to talk about in terms of sequels because if this was the first movie maybe you would do a 30 second piece that was just a scene and then nothing else but um it would be kind of unexpected um whereas for a movie that's a pre-existing property that people like um, you can be a bit bolder. Um, but what did you make of the uh, actual trailer? Yeah, uh, I, I liked a whole lot of things about it. Um, but actually, something that you just said made occurred to me that this trailer is uh, heavily relying on foreknowledge of the first movie with the, the monsters who are attracted to sound because I'm pretty sure they didn't do any sort of catch-up or like newspaper headline sort of exposition in this trailer. I think they just hit the ground running um, with the the scene where she's driving with the two kids. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know anything about A Quiet Place, you would maybe get the idea from kind of the section after that where they are walking along quietly and they make a noise and something happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think you are kind of, you're definitely relying on that prior knowledge at this point. Yeah, but that aside, I really liked just a lot of the intensity of this trailer um, the just the opening scene where they're in the car, it's this really long, you know, in terms of trailer length, uh, long played out scene where they're in the car and then eventually they're having to, to back up because the, the monsters are showing up, which that's a really big difference between this trailer and the other one is that you actually get a good look at the monsters because if you've seen the first one, then you've already seen them anyway. So might as well not be coy about it. Yeah, am I right that in the marketing for the first one, they didn't show the monsters at all until maybe late in the campaign or maybe not at all? Yeah, the first trailer is definitely, you probably see some rustling bushes and that's about it. But yeah, this one, they're like, well, we can, we know that you know, so might as well just say, hey, you know, we're going to start at the level of seeing them and then you'll have to assume that we're going to go somewhere more intense from there. But like the first one, I really like the sound design in this trailer. Um, though actually looking at the first one, the second trailer doesn't, it's not as quiet as the, the first Quiet Place trailer uh, because there's more talking, they're not using sign language like they were before. So in that way, it's less tense, but I think that's because 
they're, the movie looks like it's going to be a lot as um, claustrophobic as the first one. Um, but I just I really like the mix of like the quiet parts and like the really like big jump scare noises and like the the bottles falling, just kind of the really sudden back and forth between sort of like suckbacks and like really intense noises. I just I thought it was really well done. I don't know why you came all the way up here. There's nothing left. Yeah, I like that a lot too. Uh, I was thinking there; yeah, those bottles are kind of reverby. So there's a lot of trailer stuff in there, but there's also a lot of diegetic sounds as well. You know, you've got the radio in the intro. There is actually one because basically the the front is a scene, and there is one bit of trailer design that's almost kind of imperceptible when the monster arrives and it kind of glitches out to black, mm. and there's a, a dip, and there's no audio, and then it kind of like, whoosh, 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 and I'm gonna insert a clip here um, that sounds much better than my uh, representation of it. It's okay, baby. It's okay. Mom. But it's actually it's a really good way either to jump cut time forward, you know, if you've got five seconds where you want to cut it out and that's a good place to do it because you've got this big action. But also if you don't want to show the monster as much as possible, you can kind of glitch out. And people almost don't notice it now, um, mm. especially in the age of kind of YouTube jump cuts and glitchy video. We're all kind of used to it a lot. It's a technique that the Cloverfield teaser does a lot as well this kind of glitching in and out and noise and silence and noise and black and picture and I don't think we really pay much attention to it but because I was looking at this for the construction of the trailer I did and it's a clever way I think they've done it to not show the monster too much in the first 30 seconds yeah I think as long as the cuts to black aren't too long then yeah like you said people won't really notice them because something I do see quite frequently from uh, reading YouTube comments on trailers is there's a surprising number of people who just complain a lot about trailers going to black. And I think usually it's just if there's just too much of it or it's too long, but like this really frenetic sort of fashion, I think uh, it works really well. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe that's like dip to black because there's something very conscious about a fade up from black and a fade down from black. Mm. Um, it's actually something I do in my editing is I try not to dip down and then dip back up I'll, I'll usually maybe cut out on a beat and then fade up uh, or the reverse or like fade down and then bring a shot on straight away on the next beat and not to dip kind of both sides of the transition if that makes sense because it becomes a bit noticeable I think if you, if you do it too much and that's probably where those comments are coming from yeah I, I'm definitely very conscious of doing that too I also uh, if, if I'm going to have a section where it's going to black, I'll just fade out one section, one side of a clip and then have the other side land on a beat as opposed to, say, the like Star Wars Attack of the Clones breathing trailer style, which is definitely fade out and fade back in. The other thing that uh, I checked the first trailer for Quiet Place just to compare and contrast was the, the trailer sound design or I guess sound design slash score for the very end 
of the second trailer is very in your face, which I was wondering to myself, huh, was it like that in the original? Because my memory of the original is just all the quiet parts. But going back, they actually do have a lot of of sound design that's pretty intense at the end. But I think also the, the thing that makes the first one even more intense is that even though they have all that sound design, there's very, very little spoken dialogue until the very end. I think everything before then is just sign language and sort of knowing looks. Um, so in that way, the second one is is less intense, but I think they're just clearly going for a different thing, especially because, you know, we, presumably we, we've already seen the first movie and we want something new. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting thing in discussing sequels in general and that's why this is a good kind of jumping off point because a lot of people liked that movie because it did go as far as it did in terms of what happened to characters and the way that they dealt with the monsters and things like that so actually they're elements that need to be dealt with and kind of changed and moved on from in this movie uh, and I read a couple of YouTube comments saying that you know because they found a way to deal with the monsters maybe that is an issue or maybe um, you know, this time humans are the real monsters <laughs> as we have our Cillian Murphy turning up for 28 days later slash Quiet Place mashup mix up at right. the end. Right, and he has the lines like, oh, the people who are out there aren't worth saving. So uh, we're, we're, we're into that uh, post-apocalyptic uh, story trope. Yeah, which is, you know, you, you know you've got to ask a new question. You know, that's, an, that's one thing about sequels is you've got to kind of justify what you're doing and how you're doing it differently. Um, so that's kind of what they're doing here. On the uh, construction of the trailer, though, someone has commented uh, graphically at the end, mm-hmm. um, you know, the part two comes up. You know, part two for a sequel is a way of kind of delineating this is a continuation of the story and part two is very prominent on that graphic, comes up. Um, some people have said it says path, oh. like P-A-R-T-H, uh. <laughs> path, a quiet place. Do they start with part two and then quiet place fades in, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I think the showing the two first is is sort of like a power move. In a way, starting with a title card with A Quiet Place and then putting in part two, when the audience sees A Quiet Place, they would think to themselves, well, yeah, of course, we know. Whereas you kind of reverse it, then it's like, yeah. A similar thing was when I think the first Spider-Man 2 teaser came out. I don't, well, I don't remember if it said Spider-Man first, but I just remember very prominently in that first teaser, it started like two july and then the year which is funny because they ended up changing the release date but that was a really prominent graphic that i remember from that trailer yeah i think they did it on the toy story sequels as well i think i definitely remember the toy story 3 in print they just had a three to that point it is a really kind of sparse trailer card and copy wise actually you only have that day one at the top and then nothing down the middle like from the makers of a quiet place (laughs) you know um it is kind of relying on it playing out like a scene even though it is a collection of scenes it is kind of playing out organically through that and kind of builds sonically like you were saying to this quite intense end you know that first scene is just the ambient kind of noise of the car and the radio and the trucks and there is some trailer sound design in there And then it goes to a kind of drone and you've got more trailer sound design coming into this intense kind of rise and hits at the end and uh, and great uses of actual silence, you know, in keeping with the with the movie.
so another trailer that we wanted to talk about in terms of sequels was the new James Bond movie trailer, which I forgot to do my research. I totally forget what the title name is, which is ironic because they make such a big deal of when the title comes out. It's no time to die. There you go. Um, but it's what's interesting about this one is how this trailer, it looks like it's assuming foreknowledge of the previous movie, which was Spectre, which... Uh, I didn't see, but did you see Spectre? Um, I didn't. No, the last film I saw was uh, was Skyfall. So I think we're we're both in a kind of similar position where um, this trailer kind of assumes that we know everything that's going on from a storytelling point of view. It goes, "Hey, here's this woman. You remember this woman? It was really important, but we're not going to explain who she is or what she is. But you know, we're going to act like these things are important." We all have our secrets. We just didn't get to yours yet. My main takeaway from the James Bond trailer was I just didn't know any of the story after it finished. I was like, oh, there's a new double O. Uh, all right, that's the new Q. Um, Rami Malik is in it for a shot and there are machine guns behind uh, headlights once again. So you're not dead. Hello, Q. I've missed you. It's the most valuable asset this country has. If you feel yourself losing control, I'm not going to lose... control. James, you gave up everything for her. secret finds its way out it'll be the death of you any part of the story in terms of exposition or anything like that i didn't retain whatsoever and when we were talking about how this might presuppose knowledge of the previous movies that sort of made me curious just to watch specter just to see if this trailer would work for me uh like as a sequel trailer but as it was i just was very confused so you have to watch Spectre as a trailer for the trailer for No Time to Die. Yes. Um, which arguably probably makes it unsuccessful as a sequel trailer, except for the fact that it's a Bond film and ultimately Bond is back and he's got guns that come out of the front of his Aston Martin and that's very exciting and a lot of people are going to go and see it. And a lot of people are following the series. You know, arguably, you could say a similar thing about A Quiet Place. Like we were saying before, it doesn't give a huge amount of context in terms of the rules of the the rules of the world. Um, and that's a very interesting comment in talking about sequels in general. Um, you know, as marketers, when we come to a piece like that, um, we have to kind of assume who we're looking to market to. And obviously the studio has a big kind of say in that. Um, but, you know, are we going for the pre-existing fans or are we looking to kind of broaden it out and say, OK, you know, it did well, but maybe this time it can do even better. So let's broaden it out and not assume knowledge of the existing. But in doing so, we also don't want to kind of completely appeal to this new audience and alienate the pre-existing audience. So it's a, a real kind of juggling act with what to do so arguably for no time to die maybe people really wanted to 
know okay you know there's a lot of unanswered questions here about his relationship with this woman and what happened to Christoph Waltz at the end of Spectre and for a, a quiet place I feel like it's doing a good job in kind of you know ultimately that trailer is quite spooky and atmospheric and and scary and you don't need to necessarily know what happened before but also like maybe with the Cillian Murphy story point there you are saying hey there's going to be more in this to to people who already have seen it before and seen them kind of fighting off monsters quietly previously yeah um but actually the funny thing is uh going on the completely opposite side of the spectrum um some trailers that we were talking about before recording were going back to the 80s or 80s or 90s whatever we were talking about um the trailer for gremlins 2 which is well it's it's both saying hey remember this thing but it's also bringing new people up to speed by just explicitly pointing out all or reciting all the rules about uh, the gremlins or the, the mogwai. Remember the last time we told you not to feed them after midnight. We told you to keep them away from the light. And the most important warning of all, we told you to never ever get them wet. You didn't listen. They're mutating. Yeah, it's really kind of bold. And I feel like almost that era was probably the peak of the start of the world of sequels, you know, like post kind of Star Wars and Jaws. And it really was the era of these big blockbuster movies where you would do a sequel and it would be an event. So you could just kind of go, hey, you like that? Here's a second one. Um, And, you know, in terms of the information that they're giving out in the trailer, it's like, okay, this is the key information that you have to know about what happened in the first one or, or, you know, what the rules of the game are. And here is how we're going to subvert it in this one. You know, it was one creature, but now it's thousands or, you know. Yeah. I mean, Gremlins 2 is is completely bonkers as a movie. It's mad. (laughs) Um, So I think that trailer is hinging on the success of Gremlins 1 without necessarily revealing how insane the movie that they made was. I would love to see an updated version, which is riffing off of the Jordan Peele sketch where he's the like script doctor saying like, it's in the movie. Fruit Gremlin, it's in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Look, here's the thing. None of this is final. So you mean like, what if there was like a brainy gremlin? (laughs) A brainy gremlin. You talking about a gremlin with glasses who could talk and sing New York, New York? That's brilliant. It's in the movie done. Whoa, whoa, you you said that nothing was final. That was before I heard the words brainy and gremlin in the same sentence together. It's done. I love it. It's in the movie next. Um, And you were talking about the uh, Terminator 2 trailer. Yeah, I love I love this Terminator 2 trailer because it's it's so of its era with the the Don LaFontaine voiceover. There's so much voiceover um, and it has the title cards saying like same make, same model, different mission. And then you just have him saying like this time there are two Terminator 2. Which is it's just so it's such a doofy thing to say for it makes the um, the movie seem so much more campy just to have that that voiceover style um but i kind of love it just because of how sort of 
I don't know if innocent is the right word to use, but you probably didn't have to do it in this point blank explanation style. You probably could have cut around some of the dialogue some more, but they're just pointing out like, no, there are two Terminators this time. It seems like a very 80s, 90s sort of like, this is a sequel of to this movie and it has the same stuff, but more, you know. Instead of one, there are two this time. Like, if if you were to boil down what a lot of the movie trailers probably do now for sequels, it's basically the same thing, just a little less explicit. But I love it because of that. Yeah, I think that um, to that point, same make, same model, new mission is definitely kind of, that could be the ethos for most sequel trailers. The same, but different. I think there's two ways to kind of approach it. There's a very on-the-nose way, you know. Um, I was thinking back to um, the Grown Ups 2 trailer that I worked on, mm. um, and the front of that is very much like four years ago, four friends had the weekend of a lifetime, and now they're doing this. <laughs> a few years ago, some old friends shared an unforgettable weekend. This year... They've moved back to their hometown. Um, So there's that kind of, hey, this happened, but now this is happening. And then there's a kind of more classy, kind of what Quiet Place is doing, just working on the prior knowledge in a less kind of explicit way. So you get things like um, Frozen 2, the trailer, Mm. the the first teaser trailer that came out was very confident, a scene, um, same as It Chapter 2. Very sceny, very confident, don't feel the need to kind of rebuild the world. You can mm. just go, hey, here's this thing, and it's it's that thing that you liked before, but um, here's we're doing something interesting with it. And sequels, because you don't have to do that world building and you can rely a bit on the pre-existing knowledge, you can do something kind of really bold and confident, actually. I was thinking of the Magic Mike XXL teaser. Do you remember that one? I don't remember the, the trailer. Yeah, it's that kind of thing where you can be fun and bold because you're dealing with the pre-existing property. Like, um, the copy in Magic Mike is... We didn't want to show the best parts in the trailer, but it was very, very hard to resist, and Channing Tatum said dancing with an angle grinder. And for those kind of movies, you can just be more kind of confident and thematic and choose whether to go along with what the previous movie was doing or kind of subvert it. But, you know, like we were saying, It Chapter 2, you can be kind of more bold. Yeah, that that was something I was thinking about a lot uh, in preparation for this episode because the thing I was wondering is how often does a trailer editor think of... Th- their trailer in terms of what the first trailer did. Um, Like, I mean, obviously everything is driven somewhat by the source material, but I was trying to think of what trailers came out that were clearly a reaction to the original campaign. I think some of the examples that you've given uh, where the second teaser or trailer is uh, basically saying that we don't have anything to prove are the sorts that are... Uh, you know, a reaction like, you know, Frozen 2 could just, just just show a little bit of a scene. Can you think of any other trailers where you thought like, wow, they they knew what they had before and now they're trying to sort of play against type? 
Uh, not subvert it necessarily, um, but like we were saying, um, definitely kind of work within the realms of the pre-existing material. So for it, chapter two, you've got that kind of uh, siren sound design, which is from the world of the marketing for the first movie, but you know doesn't actually exist in the movie, but you're kind of staying relevant to the pre-existing materials and they're existing in their kind of own world. Hello. And then you have things like kind of Tron Legacy and um, Top Gun Maverick, which is a real thing at the moment where you're doing kind of thematic sequels. So, you know, you're not necessarily carrying on the direct story that you were telling, but you're doing more tonal sequels than specific story sequels. Yeah. And, and then one franchise I was thinking about, which sort of simultaneously requires a little bit of foreknowledge from the audience, but at the same time is also just uh, using the formula, is the Fast and the Furious movies, which, I don't know, have you seen, Are you have you watched them all, or are you, have you watched none of them? I've seen all the trailers. Okay. Well, so, uh, the Fast and the Furious movies do a surprisingly good job of referencing their own, like, the, the backstory, like, from the very beginning. So there are actually some movies in like the middle where I think in the trailer you might be a little bit confused had you not watched the previous ones. And not to say that the story is so intricate that you can't follow at all, but there are some parts where it's like, oh, this person died, but actually they weren't dead. It's not super complicated. Um, But I, I find it sort of interesting that I think if you watched all those trailers straight through, you realize that in a lot of ways they aren't holding your hand but it also kind of doesn't matter because uh they're still gonna show lots of car uh chases and explosions and scantily clad women that sort of thing yeah and uh some things will have like a tinted flashback to show um the stuff with characters saying like hey do you remember the time that we did that thing or with uh, fast and furious you'll just mention family 20 times you absolutely do <laughs> And uh, and then people will remember what franchise they're watching. Or like the later Harry Potters would all start showing footage of the kids growing up um, to kind of say, hey, look look at this journey you've been on. So it's less kind of story and more like, hey, look at the, the franchise and the, the world that we've been on. But definitely require kind of prior knowledge. Yeah, I think they did that as early as the fourth movie because, I mean from the beginning to just the fourth movie, they'd already like hit their growth spurts and like you can see Daniel Radcliffe's chin like develop <laughs> or his jawline. Actually, one other thing that I wrote down for this episode was sometimes it's really interesting to see a sequel trailer that basically um, practically shot for shot is like the first trailer. And the one example that I had, which when I first saw it, I was really bewildered, was um, the sequel for, uh, or the trailer for Hellboy 2. So the first Hellboy trailer was actually done um, by Geronimo Productions, which is where I used to work. Um, And so I was very, very familiar with the format of the storytelling in that trailer, which is like, you know, establishing the the secret agency and, you know, by the way, we don't exist and there are all these specialized people. Welcome to the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. There are things that go bump in the night, Agent Myers. And we are the ones who bump back. 
Hellboy. And the second Hellboy movie, the first trailer and maybe even the second trailer a little bit had pretty much note for note a lot of the exact same exposition. When our world is threatened, I have returned to wage war. Reclaim our land. My forces beyond our understanding. Our government turns to an elite, top secret organization. Which I don't, I don't know why they would do that. Maybe they were like, mm, the first Hellboy movie didn't do so well, so we need to reestablish this because it's still kind of a culty sort of uh, movie. But um, that was one example that when I saw that, I'm like, oh interesting they're sort of just doing it again oh interesting well i guess it kind of depends on the size of your franchise really because you know if it's spider-man 2 then you don't really need to reintroduce and that's the fun you can have with spider-man 2 you can just kind of say hey look now here's a continuing adventures and you don't have to do that kind of reintroduction but maybe for a franchise like hellboy that maybe wasn't as big you do kind of need to reground people and so people are inevitably going to look at the marketing for the first movie and and you know and it can be uh, successful movies as too i remember the thing that the basically the force awakens and the last jedi trailers were the same um uh where people kind of someone did it on youtube they kind of layered the trailers over each other starting with finn's head popping up in the first one and um some similar reveal from the last jedi and basically showing that structurally they were very kind of they were very kind of similar. Mm. Uh, that would be an interesting thing to, to study. Have you had to work on any sequel trailers? Um, I haven't worked on any sequels to games that I did trailers for the first ones, but I have done trailers for sequels to a handful of games. So I did a trailer for Splunky 2, um, and that one, we just made the choice of explicitly targeting the hardcore fans and... Uh, not really worrying about teaching new fans or new players how the game works, which was not entirely risky because it's still a platforming game. So you can still just basically understand, you know, you run, you jump, and you whip things. Um, And then we just tried to jam pack it with as much stuff as possible because it was the first gameplay that had been shown of Spelunky at all. Um, So we knew that people would be really uh, dying just to see everything, especially the hardcore fans. And then uh, there's also, I guess you could say Half-Life Alex, even though it's a prequel, but it's also just working off of a very well-known game franchise, um, which um, I'm still going to wait on talking about that one too in-depth until uh, closer to the release. Um, But it still had a lot of the same sort of uh, problems that need to be addressed, like... You know, how much of the old thing do you show and how much of the new thing do you show? Um, Which the answer is you have to find the balance. Um, And in some cases, it could just be holding stuff back because you want players to discover that um, for themselves in the game. And in some cases, sometimes you just have to show some new things just because otherwise they're going to be like, well, I'll just play the old game. Why do I need to bother getting the new one? Yeah, I I hope that kind of generally we're doing a bit more of that, um, which is less hand-holding. Because you could arguably, not to talk about Half-Life Alex, but you could see a, like, in whatever year, this 
game came out that changed the industry and now you know like now it's back but it's vr you know a really kind of salesy thing and and you know going back to the gremlins trailer you know you had that kind of quite salesy eventy dawn of the sequel aesthetic to it and then if you look at things that we've talked about now like it chapter two and frozen and mission impossible and you know a lot of the kind of marvel films you know you just kind of sit in the new film and the new film arguably if it's a sequel is going to be kind of introducing what's different and what's new and what's a continuation and how it's continuing within it so you know you can just use the film or the game to kind of tell the story without too much hand-holding yeah and, and a lot of times the the material itself will make a lot of the decisions for you in terms of what the style should be so like i was also trying to think about marvel films where if you think about something like like uh, you know, Iron Man. The the story changes. You know, one gets more intense about Tony's internal struggles and like alcoholism, that sort of thing. Or uh, you could think about like Thor Ragnarok came out really big with its its like hyper uh, colorful style, saying like, "Whoa, it's Thor, but it's totally different." You know, just having just some sort of key point that just differentiates it from everything else uh sort of the same way like frozen's like oh darker color palette that sort of thing but something like thor's also just kind of having fun with that prior knowledge you know you don't have to do the work of like oh, okay he's a god and here's a thing or you know like with spider-man you don't have to do the whole radioactive spider and the school kid and something you can just kind of leap into the fun so thor ragnarok was a perfect film to just have fun with it and just go he you know He's a friend from work, you know, relying on that kind of prior knowledge. But, um, but yeah, having a great time. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Oh, come on. Um, so sequels are kind of fun as well, like... You do, you have to answer that question of what are we going to do and how is it different? But also you don't have to do a lot of the heavy lifting, so you can just have fun with it. Although I was thinking of um, a case that came out recently, which was Happy Death Day to You, which is actually a fantastic sequel because it's in a, in a kind of similar to um, Back to the Future 2. It kind of takes the original concept and completely twists it and subverts it. Um, but I think, you know, that was a small horror movie, so you can't rely on an inbuilt audience and, you know, you need to kind of open that to potentially a new kind of audience as well. So a lot of the marketing did a reintroduction of the premise. I was stuck reliving the same day over and over again until someone wearing a baby mask murdered me on the night of my birthday. Turns out it was my roommate, Lori. I kicked her crazy ass out a window and killed her, which broke the loop. But now I'm living the better version of my life before kind of saying oh okay and this time it's different but you know very much we can't rely like a quiet place does on you knowing enough about the world um you know it has to reintroduce that central concept as well oh my god everything's different this time it's coming after all of us i think if i were to give advice to someone making a trailer for some sort of sequel i think i would just tell them that you don't need to show everything that is new about the new thing because you know since you have the prior knowledge sometimes just one twist which is sometimes what the sequel has just like one twist or two twists that just change uh the structure of everything like for example quiet place instead of them just staying in the house all the time quiet place part two they're outside 
boom, that's all you sort of really need to know that this one fundamental thing is going to change everything else uh, about the story. Maybe they should have made that the tagline this time. You know, <laughs> this time they're outside. Too. This time they're outside. <laughs> I would love the Don LaFontaine version. You've done that. You can do that for the TV. Yeah. Of uh, Quiet Place what, Like two. this time. Yeah. Same quiet, same place, <laughs> new mission. <laughs> this time they talk out loud. <laughs> or uh, as someone on YouTube said, a quieter place. A quieter place. Yes, exactly. All right, so that's our discussion about sequel trailers. As always, if you have questions, please contact us at cutdown at idlethumbs.net. And we're on Twitter at cutdowncast. And I am at Derek underscore Lou. And I'm at Rick Thomas. And we're part of the Idle Thumbs Network. And we also want to give a thank you to our friends at Twisted Jukebox for our intro music. Uh, thanks, and Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. What about a uh, spider gremlin? You mean a gremlin with eight legs and a thorax just catching pretty ladies in a web in an office building? Oh my God, it's in the movie. I love it. Next. What about a bat gremlin? You mean a gremlin with leathery wings just flying around, flip-flopping, bust through a wall, make a perfect bat symbol in the wall, get outside, get in some wet concrete, jump up on a building and just dry in place like a gargoyle gremlin? We are cooking with gas now. I love it. It's in the movie. Next.